You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman, and we've got a really good show for you today. Mr. Francois Grenier is going to uh, be chatting with us today. Francois, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are joining us from sunny California. Yes, I live in the barrier, lived in the barrier for the last seven and a half years. Uh, my first son was born here, though my wife is French. I am French, obviously. Um, funnily enough, I met my wife in Australia. We were both living and working there. So we've been international people and international workers for most of our professional lives. Uh, moved back to France for a few years after that. And then she was sent to San Francisco by our company. Like, all right, let's go uh, take the adventure. Um, and so we we set up um, our home here. Um, so seven and a half years ago, I've changed jobs three times, I think, since then, four times maybe. Um, and loved every second of it. So it's been it's been a fun ride. And we've been both international uh, band before we even met. Like, I started my career. Actually, my first real job after graduating was in Malaysia for a year and then Thailand for a year and then um, Australia for a couple of years as well. Same company, French company. Um, I, I started in the telco industry. I trained as a telecom engineer slash international business. Um, so it was the perfect opportunity, opportunity for me to get both of my degrees together in the same job and travel the world a little bit while I was yeah. young. Man, I definitely want to dig into the the international aspects with you. That's it's an area that's absolutely fascinating to me, and I think something that's becoming more and more relevant for partnering professionals, you know, as the days go on, this uh, globalized economy. But uh, before we jump into that, I want to chat a little bit about you know the the company, you know, your background mm -hmm. specifically, and the the company that you're with now, being the head of partnerships at Sendosa, a really interesting company. But uh, Francois, if we could, man, I'd like to just dig into, you know, tell us more about your background. You know, how did you enter the workforce? And then, uh, you know, what, what landed you into this role where you are specializing in partnerships? Good question. So <clears throat> I studied in France um, in a French engineering school, which is the equivalent of a, a master in uh, computer science and stuff like that. And elect electrical engineering, computer science. Kind what of city? In Lille, uh, which yeah, okay. is where I'm from. So the Belgian border on the French side. Uh, I did my last year of studies in an exchange program in Montreal, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, I had traveled a little bit during my studies for internships and stuff like that. So I had already like the international bug in me. Um, when I graduated from that school, it didn't feel like I was ready. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Like, I guess something that a lot of, a lot of uh, new graduates meet uh, as a question mark at the end of the curriculum. So I signed up for a master's in uh, international business management. So back in Lille, so still close to my family. Uh, after which I did my final project um, for the master's program in Laos. I worked in a, out of a tobacco factory there, uh, implementing information systems for the payroll. Um, and so that was back in 
2005. So at the time, Laos was still very wild and not very much traveled. Um, so quite an interesting, quite an interesting experience. Um, the the premise of my project was that the the new leadership in the company, so it was a joint venture between the the communist government and a French tobacco company. Uh, he showed up first day was payday, and they were filling up a room with banknotes. And it was like, all right, this is not going to work. <laughs> we can't we can't really do that. And people had didn't have bank accounts. Um, the, the country was really in the early stages of their uh, current development. So yeah, we put together a, a program to educate them on the benefits of a bank account. We partnered with banks uh, that were trying to get a better foothold in the country as well and try to educate people on the benefits of like a saving account and, and not necessarily just grabbing your cash and burning half of it on the first night and, and putting the second half of it under the mattress to get going through the month. Um, so that was a super interesting project from the human perspective as well, not just from the technical side of things. The technical side of things, if anything, was the boring part of it. Um, after which I stayed in the region, so Southeast Asia. I joined a French company that had a, a regional office in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, the company was uh, Alcatel at the time, which became then Alcatel Lucent, which is now part of Nokia. Um, so all the mobile network infrastructures, uh, that's the stuff that I was working on, which is what I was trained for anyway. Uh, and my role was really building out the, the large scale proposals and platforms and systems for um, mobile operators in the region. So I was covering um, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, all those, all those um, regional countries. Uh, and design, I was responsible for the design of part of the system and the commercial proposals, all the financials, the pricing, the, the PNL, the risk analysis, all that stuff, uh, which was really a good training for any job that you can get after this. Cause you get a little bit of everything. You get technical, you get finance, you get risk and, and all that stuff, legal, a lot of it too. Uh, I transferred to their Thailand office after a year to really focus on one particular account that was at the time at risk. And so the goal was to try and salvage it. Uh, and we managed to um, expand on that account, which was really at risk at the time, um, which is interesting, uh, interesting experience being yelled at on a weekly basis by the customer in the boardroom um, for the first six months of that experience anyway. Uh, and then I transferred to Australia, still with the same company, um, to really focus on the Australian market over there. Uh, the company was operating kind of as a silo in Australia, which was an interesting perspective as well, because all of the stuff that I knew from being part of the group for the last two years became kind of irrelevant. Like it, it was a different network with different processes, different approval guidelines, different products even that were sitting to that particular market. So an interesting thing. The other thing that I liked about it is my role shifted more towards business development and education and evangelization uh, and almost treating our cust large customers as full-on partners. Um, so really trying to work with them on the roadmap and all that stuff. Um, and I guess that was the first foray into actual partnerships for me. Uh, went back to France because uh, my wife had a, had a professional opportunity. I do follow my wife a lot. Uh, and... Um, started working for a security device company called Oberthur Technologies. Uh, at the time, they're now called IDEMIA. 
some reason, these companies keep changing names after I leave, which is interesting too. Um, and my role was really on the business development side of things, but partnerships. So we were trying to uh, create partnerships with companies that could enrich our offering or make um, better additions or additions to our own portfolio of products to do things that we didn't do, but that made sense to do together with our products. So it's just a, the definition of strategic partnerships in somewhere between OEM and integrations um, type of things that we now see in the SaaS world a lot, um, but they were more considered strategic partnerships. So stuff that we would go to market together with one partner and one partner only on a very specific type of use case. And we will we would drill down on that and spend one, two years really building together products. Uh, so not just integrating, but building things together. Um, and so I stayed with that company for, I think, five years. Um, they let me move to the US with them, uh, which was super interesting as well. They were actually looking for someone to do exactly my job, but in the US. Uh, working Had you with been in the US before up to that point? I had been just traveling for fun. Um, um, actually, my wife took me to San Francisco on one of her business trips uh, a year before we moved here. This is I proposed to her uh, here, uh, literally 10K from, well, six miles from where I live now, uh, but before we moved here. So it was a, kind of an interesting um, insider story on that. Um, and so, yeah, my company said we need someone uh, to actually build out the partnerships with the Googles and, and Microsofts and Amazons of the world. So we need someone in the Bay Area just to, to do that. Um, it's like, perfect, because I'm moving next month anyway. <laughs> so we did that together and I stayed with them for a few years. And we, yeah, we worked on those massive, massive partnerships. It's kind of a different thing from what I was doing in, in Europe for them. Um, but well, that's all, what was, uh, I'm curious to know, because there's obviously a lot of folks that are working with those huge sumo companies. What was it like working with uh, the large, the sumos, the, the Microsofts, the Googles, all of those people? What, what was kind of some of the lessons learned from, from getting those battle scars? I think, first of all, it depends on who you're dealing with. Um, so we were... My company was providing uh, chipsets for those companies, so for the device side of things. So very different from what I do today, which is mostly software and very easy, easier conversations. But on the legal standpoint, on an integration standpoint, on the education and evangelization standpoint, those were very long conversations. Um, in all of those partners, they were always like one, one and a half years minimum of just breaking the grounds with them and just starting to specify things together because we were working on mobile devices as well. There was a lot of standardization involved with this. So it was not just partnering with the device makers, but it was also partnering with the carriers that would need to support that technology as well. And partnering with our competitors for that matter to try and influence the standard bodies into the direction that made sense for us strategically uh, and for our customers as well. So a lot of a lot of uh, moving pieces um, in that ecosystem. But I think what's interesting, from what I remember in my space anyway, um, working with Google and Microsoft was very easy, which is funny because in my world today it's not at all. <laughs> and I think it's because the interest that they had in our products and the value that we were bringing is very different. Like we were not looking for a go-to-market partner that would be a, a massive channel for us, which is usually like the way people approach it in the SaaS space. Um, we, we had a piece of hardware that they didn't 
have any clue how to produce themselves. And so they needed our, us and our expertise on that. And we had the trust of the carriers and they needed the trust of those carriers. So they needed us to grease the wheels. Um, and so that made the partnership side of that job super interesting because it was very political. Yeah. So Francois, I'd love for you just to jump into the current company, the current role. Sendoza, yeah. what, uh, what kind of good stuff are you guys up to and uh, what kind of partnerships are, are you guys forming? So Sendoso is a sending platform. You can think of it if you've, if you've never heard of Sendoso and you're scratching your head and wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Um, think about it as a way to inject physical touch points into outreach campaigns and marketing campaigns in general. Um, and so the infancy of the company really was created around that goal, how to open the door for a sales rep or an SDR and start a conversation and build a relationship with a company that on paper doesn't necessarily want to talk to SDRs. Uh, and, and so Chris and Braden started the company with the mindset of really adding those physical touches and quickly realized that if you send an e-gift or if you send a piece of swag to someone, the response rate is about like two to 400 times higher than just email campaigns. Um, and so that was like product market fit right off the bat um, for them. And the company grew into a broader platform that manages multiple users for a same company. And integrations is a massive part of that because our key buyer personas are rev ops and people that really um, figure out the best tactical uh, way of uh, entering into a conversation with customers. So people that do all the sales engagement workflows. Um, and for those, we would have, uh, we have integrations with platforms like SalesLoft, Outreach, Groove, um, and the likes that really enable us to make physical sense part of that workflow. On the other side of the spectrum, we work a lot with marketing teams and VP of marketing and CMOs are um, a, a happy uh, persona of our, of our customers. And that really is all about blending physical sense into broader marketing campaigns. So think about a campaign canvas, the way you design it in Marketo or in HubSpot and adding physical touch points into those scenarios. So if somebody interacts with your webinar and read two pieces of content on your end, then maybe it's time to send them a new gift for uh, a coffee and jump on a call with them. That, that's the kind of stuff that Sendos is really good at. The, the, the magic behind the platform really revolves around all the measurement side of things as well. So all of the data that happened around those transactions, we also re-inject into the CRM and the marketing automation platform so you can measure the efficacy of that particular touch point as part of the campaign. Um, which makes things easier for people to also measure the value of the platform. So it's not just cool on paper, it's also measurable. As you mentioned, it's, it's digital and physical, right? Correct. So we do four type of major, four major type of sends. Um, so we have um, all the electronic gifting things, so e-gifts and vouchers and gift cards and stuff like that, uh, that are purely electronic. Um, we do... Um, inventory sense. So we help our customers build out inventory for branded swag, that type of thing, bread and packages for specific campaigns or for year long inventory. Uh, and we have warehouses where we, when we manage those uh, inventories and, and shipping and sending and, and all the logistics um, of it, we do 
have what we call Sendoso Direct Sends, which are direct integrations with um, smaller vendors. That could be, for instance, your local um, local staples like the fancy cookie shop uh, or fancy bakery in neighborhood. Uh, we we deal with them, and so we'd make uh, place orders to them that would directly ship to to customers, and we'd still manage the tracking and all of that um, for those um, for those sends. And the last part that we have launched um, more recently is um, an integration with Amazon. So you can basically send anything out of Amazon. Um, we have a Chrome extension. So whenever you browse Amazon, you, we overlay a send us a button. And what we'll do is send that piece of kit to our warehouse for repackaging and, and, and revamping the way you want it. So those are more like one-off sends. But it really helped our customers make uh, a, a masterful impression on the the hardest people to really connect with. So if you know that you're talking to someone that is a big fan of dogs or a big fan of golf or basketball or what have you, you can really start being mindful about it and send something to them that they will actually really enjoy rather than a Tumblr, uh, which is always nice until you have too many ones. Um, so we really try to broaden the scope of everything that we can offer. And uh, more recently, we launched the Sendoso Experiences. Um, so it really took off towards the end of last year um, with COVID and everything becoming more remote, uh, letting people have um, like virtual wine tastings and things like that. Um, so we send a, we, we, you can send smaller bottles for wine tasting experiences to a bunch of people and then everybody connects on a zoom call and so we started really connecting as well with the new market for us which is all the human resources and people's teams as well um, especially in the in the bigger companies where Sendoso is the perfect way of marking uh, milestones for an employee like uh, first day you receive your swag because you're not showing up in the office anymore or after a year you receive your first anniversary gift and that kind of stuff is really engaging as well as throwing in those experiences as well, like virtual team buildings and things like that. So with Sendoso, you can do virtual um, wine tasting magic shows. Like you get a box at home with a bunch of stuff and you get a magician showing up on Zoom and you do experiments together with them. Um, so it's been it's been a super interesting year for the company as well. That's fun, man. I never got any swag bags like that back in the day, you know? <laughs> I love what you guys are doing. So Sendoso, I mean, so I'm getting a lot of swag now. <laughs> well, we, we love to categorize different companies. Uh, Sendoso, do you guys fall into the, the SaaS category, the SaaS plus? I mean, it sounds like you guys have a pretty wide offering. Yeah, we are definitely a SaaS company. Um, I think the, the essence of what Sendoso is, is really greasing the wheels and making everything easy and simple for our customers to implement and to track and measure. And so that really is done through software. And so there's no question around this. We sure our software integrates with warehouses and physical platforms and things like that stuff that gets in a box and that you can touch. Uh, but we're still very much a, a software company. Awesome. Man, I want to shift gears a little bit and just jump in your brain. Have you share some insights, just given your career and, and kind of what you've done. Uh, let's just kick it off with, man, so, so far into your career, all the partnering work that you've done, multiple companies all over the world. What, is, what has kind of been your biggest takeaway whenever it comes to, to being a partnering professional? 
Um, biggest takeaway is that your job is to talk to people and it's actually how you learn and get better at what you do as well. So it's not just only about doing your job, but also growing personally. Um, and that's a super interesting thing in partnerships. We, we, I keep talking to my partners today and we always share challenges that we have, like attribution, for instance, is a massive headache for most SaaS companies, especially partnerships people. Um, and so we, talk about those things together we try to figure things out and actually attribution is probably like the one topic that comes back the most uh internal buying i think is the other one like if you do partnerships in large organization like i was in before it was also true even though you'd expect that a big organization might be more geared towards that i've been this sole partnerships people at smaller organizations uh in my career um it's always about trying to get yourself surrounded by the people that will help you do your thing because you're the partnerships person. You need help from marketing. You need help from product. You need help from legal. You need help from sales, um, CS. You basically can't do anything by yourself and you're usually the one person that is supposed to make it happen. So getting people pumped about what you're doing, getting them to see the value of what you're doing, I think is the one thing um, that's probably the most important in this in this role, um, whether it's the way it was before in my career or the way it is today. Yeah, the relationship skills, man, they cannot be overstated. Because to your point, so many times being a partnering professional, we have to interface with and even kind of manage a lot of these cross-functional processes or these initiatives but most of the time they don't report to us, right? We don't write their performance review at the end of the year, but exactly. how can we influence them to do what we need them to do on behalf of the company? And worst of all, they have a day job and they think that your job is not their day job. Um, so you need to get them to see the bigger thing and the bigger picture and the value of what you're doing and how you can influence them. I think one angle that I found particularly interesting, especially in my previous role at Typeform, but also very true at Sendoso, is I, I, I took very early on an interest in all the product aspects of the integrations, kind of where I found my, my pace at uh, Typeform. Um, and now at Sendoso, really, you, with partnerships, you can solve a lot of customers' pain points that internally might be really hard to solve because you don't have the resource, because you don't have necessarily the expertise and figure out what the use case needs to be and so on. And you have a partner that has that kind of solution. Um, and so having that product mindset is super helpful to at least get the product people in line, because once you have the product people uh, bought in to your ID, then they drag in marketing and everything, which is more logical. Like if product needs something, marketing helps. It kind of falls into the mainstream of your business. Exactly. So you, exactly that. So you need to find like the anchor point to your project and expand from there. Yeah. Yeah. Great insights there. Usually like if you manage to sell it, it's because it makes sense or because you're really good. But if you're really good, it doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be pushing it anyway because you have better, bigger fish to fry. Um, so yeah, um, as soon as you get them energized, it's all good. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, Self-service, uh, product-led growth, service-led growth. I mean, these different approaches in the market. How do partnerships kind of play into each of these different avenues? It's it's a super interesting topic, um, especially because Sendoso is a sales-led organization. Typeform was very much a product-led uh, growth organization. So the mindsets were very different. And yet my job is kind of the same on paper. 
but in practice, it kind of different. Um, so partnerships, both at Typeform and, and at Sendoso and in most companies um, cover both the reselling side of things, so all the agency uh, agency partnerships and all that ecosystem, as well as all, all everything that revolves around integrations, right? So if you look at those two categories, I think um, for the pure reseller slash agency playbook, uh, the goals are similar, whether you're SLG or PLG. Um, if you're SLG, you probably need more buy-in from your customer success team and by extension, your sales team, because they are used to serve those customers and you want your partners to be really excited about working with Sendoso. So you need people to be comfortable in handing off some of that load to agencies and trust the agencies that they will serve the customer. Um, in a PLG organization, that is a de facto thing because your customer success team is really more um targeted at the larger accounts, but every other customer might want to have access to expert services. And then the agencies are the natural response to that. Um, so I guess the main difference would be internal buying and selling cohesion between the different um, teams uh, in the organization to really make sure that you can work well with agencies. On the integration side of things, um, what's interesting is Organizations like Sendoso, for instance, are very dialed in for everything that revolves around co-marketing and co-selling. Um, and those things, co-marketing works in the PLG world. Like you build an integration or a partner build an integration and you need to bring it to market and, and evangelize your audience and your partner's audience about what you built and what's the value proposition of that. The co-selling side of things doesn't really exist in the PLG world, I think. It's more about making sure that your integrations get in the face of your users so they will adopt them. And the key metric um, that we were tracking at Typeform um, that I'm also trying to implement at Sendoso because it's also valid here is adoption of integrations and usage and the way that it correlates with higher retention, higher uh, consumption on the platform or expansion, upselling and this and that. Uh, well, basically LTV, right? Uh, LTV correlates with uh, integrations adoption and something that you can talk to any partnership person in the SaaS world. If they haven't looked at it, they should. If they have looked at it, they've seen it. It works. Well, especially this uh, transition to subscription models so much. I mean, it's all about, I mean, even from a, an investor's perspective or, or even the, the valuation of different companies, it's all about customer lifetime value. Yeah, absolutely. And you need people to get the most value out of the platform. That's the way they're going to stay, right? So it's not it's not a perverse mindset. It really is all about the user. If you can deliver to them the value in the best way possible or solve their problems and get their jobs done um, in the smoothest way, they will stick around because um, they will get more value out of it. And integrated platforms are a thing now. Um, I was looking at the MarTech study, somebody in my in my network shared that with me the other day. Um, you know, the, the, the Martech um, website that produces that massive map of all the, the thousands. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably Jay McBain's work from Forrester. Yeah, something like that. And the, one of their surveys from earlier this year showed that level of integration is becoming like the decision factor for buying a platform versus another. So it also shows that it's not just something that relates to keeping your customers once they're in, but it's also a way to 
a way to entice them to or get them excited about your platform. It's well, you're coming with Salesforce, we got you covered. You're coming with HubSpot, we got you covered. And that's the idea, right? Trying to not be too married with one platform. And sometimes, yes, one of your ICPs will put you in the box with a particular type of tech stack. So you'll have like mid-market to, to enterprise would be like very Salesforce. If you go into enterprise, you start tapping into Microsoft Dynamics world and different CRM stacks and stuff like that. But within your ICP, you need to at least cover all the, the tools that your customers are going to be using for your key use case. And once you have that done, then you expand to all the edge use cases and all the widgets and stuff that can really add value that, that was not necessarily obvious or expected, but that can create that haha moment of making that a really cool experience with your product. And we saw a lot of those with, uh, with Typeform back in the day. I'll say it's really, it's taking that, that solutions approach, but now we're getting a little bit spoiled with more and more uh, you know, implementations and, and other integrations where it's not just the easy button, but it's the, the biggest easy button that you can get that allows for the, for the most flexible, you know, parts and solutions for people. But that's a great segue into, I'd like to talk about what do you look for in partners, you know, specifically for Sendoso, or what are ideal partners for Sendoso? Now that, you know, we know a little bit more to the extent we weren't familiar with your company and the solutions before, or, you know, what do you look for in partners or what makes a great partner for you guys? So I think the obvious response would be it needs to be mutually beneficial. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of cliche, but at the same time, very true. Um, I, don't think, I don't think if you're good at taking and not good at giving, the partnership has a future. So you need to think about creating value and, I, will, I would almost think start where how you can help the partner before helping yourself because otherwise that conversation is going to be harder to even get started. Um, but most importantly, I think I, I, I truly believe that partnerships need to serve your customers um, and by extension, your partner's customers, but your customers first. So you need to build partnerships that actually add value for your customers. The go-to-market aspect, I it's almost secondary. Like if you do it right, then you get like real value for your existing users. Like for instance, building an integration with platform A, um, your customers demand it, you build it, you establish that relationship. The partner is usually happy that you build it because they didn't have to. Um, you start this conversation, you do all your user research and all of that needs to absolutely be done the way regular product features would be built. Um, is it worth the investment? Do your scoring, your prioritization, everything you have to do. Once it's done, it's really about delivering that value. And once you deliver that value, then focus on the partner being happy, getting value out of it as well. And if you get those two things right, then the benefits for the company are going to be natural um, consequences of that. So I don't even think focusing on what's my goal for that particular partnership is something that I would even start with. Um, I would keep it in mind for sure. Like if, if, if something really doesn't make sense, there's no point in going in there. Or if it's something that it looks good on paper, but down the road will create a, a whole lot of problems, then that's something you need to assess. But in terms of like new, new leads and, and increasing your revenue and sourcing new customers and so on, I think if you figure out the way to really make that integration shine, then your partners are going to see that and they're going to do the work for you and you're going to do the work for them and work together with them. Yeah, man, such a great point. I think it's so often overlooked whenever we work with clients and they ask, you know, what do we need to do to have our partners, you know, put us 
on the top shelf, you know, put us where we're, we're in a good position to work with them. How do we get more mindshare? It's simple, <laughs> not easy, but it's simple. You have to be strategic. Uh, you, you want to be a strategic partner of your partners. How do you do that? You just, you simply provide more value to them than what their other partners provide to them. How do you do that? Put them first, be a value provider. And, uh, it's not always easy, but man, that's, that's the equation to win. Yeah. And, and it's the ones that are the most fun to work with anyway. So you, you want to see that. Um, and I kind of got addicted to that at Typeform because um, Typeform is a product that really has a lot of customer love and almost a fan base. And, and even when you have a, a low day or a hard day at work and then talk to a customer, they will pump you up because they're going to be excited about about what you provide to them. And so when we brought like the new HubSpot experience uh, at Typeform, our customers were so stoked and wanted to talk about it. When we launched the Slack integration, which was like the first thing that we launched when I joined back in 2017, they were really, really pumped about this. Um, so yeah, uh, creating, creating that experience and that happiness uh, and that smile on your customer is really what makes it fun anyway. And it's also true for agency partnerships for that matter. Like customers, if they're struggling with something, like if they're struggling to really figure out how to do something with your platform, or if they need really like a piece of expertise on one of the integrations, you probably have a partner that can help them better than you could in-house. So you need to make that connection. And in return, the partner is going to be like, yeah, thank you. I can help them with that. And, and I owe you one. And that's it. That's a partnership. Yeah, great insights. Great insights going to be fun watching you continue to to grow the partnering team grow the partnering function and uh, all the stuff that uh, you guys have have going there at Sendoso. thank you thanks for having me and thank you for taking an interest in my story partnernomics podcast is brought to you by partnernomics learn how to leverage the power of partnership to listen to more episodes of partnernomics podcast visit partnernomics.com